Welcome back, everybody, to the Electric Priest Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McInerney. Hope you're all good and you're doing well in these crazy, crazy times. Today's episode is with Tom Mayo from Shoot From The Hip. So Shoot From The Hip are a fantastic London-based improv team. They took the scene by storm over the last 10 years. It was so much fun catching up with Tom and finding out more about how he got into improv, performing with Shoot From The Hip, and his own individual projects these days. So without further ado, here's my chat with Tom Mayo. get into this so have you found doing 97 um shows over zoom how's that how's that process been wow it's it has been uh lovely in so many ways it's very strange so we started off back when we were like a month inside okay this sounds fun and kooky um (laughs) so we started doing it it's just like well look we're all we're all gonna get bored doing this we may as well have some fun do a few live stream shows. A lot of our friends and family watch those early ones. That's how it is in improv, right? Yeah. First couple of shows, friends and family. The other thousand shows, no one you've ever seen will ever come. <laughs> it's, it's only strangers. And there'll be one person who comes to every show and you're like, are we friends now? I don't know. I only see you from a stage. Anyway. Um, but yeah, we've now got this sort of regular group of lovely people. Um, who come and watch the live streams and they're like a core of 20, 25-ish people. Great. Um, so they've been amazing. And in terms of the actual show itself, um, it's quite strange uh, because I think for me especially, when I was first doing improv, I was all about the words and I was just trying to say clever stuff um, because I was coming from an uh, English degree background when everyone else was drama. Um, and... Obviously, being on stage, we, we built up our, uh, our use of physicality um, and being able to look each other in the eye and play off the reactions of the audience. I mean, as soon as you're live streaming, you can't hear the audience. You can move around, but the physicality is more limited. And also, you can see everything you're doing, which makes you more aware in both good and bad ways. Um, and the timing's so different. Uh, so, for example, musical games are, are you, you've either got a fantastic setup and a musical ability, or you should not touch them. It's, um, <laughs> we play a couple of musical games, but we, we have them as a commission, a paid commission. And the commission says, this will be terrible. Only do this if you want to hurt us. And people do. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's been very, very different. Um, I think more so than we expected. But we're having a lovely time. And I think one of the most positive things, aside from keeping us sane and, and connecting with nice audience members from all over the world, as opposed to just a small uh, London bubble, um, one of the nice things um, about it is that we've been able to, to not rely just on the audience leading uh, leading the narrative, etc. So often we're like, oh, they're really responding to that. Great, we will go that way which is really fun to work with on stage. But if you've got no laughter just due to the medium and you've just got happy faces appearing in the comments, you much more have to sort of look at, okay, is this a satisfying narrative? Are we making, other performers make each other laugh? And I think as we've gone along, we're making each other laugh a lot more and we're having a lot more fun and bringing a lot more fun to the other players, which I hope... Wow, so it's going to change the way you perform in a way? Yeah, I mean, we, we were... 
I think when we started, we were very, uh, so this is 10 years ago, when we started, we were very um, worried about, oh gosh, is every single audience member on board with everything we're doing? Um, which is not, not a fun way to work, because the more they can see you're, you're trying really hard, probably the worse you'll do. Um, and then over time, we became more sort of, okay, we have to be confident in ourselves and look after each other, etc. But once you entirely take the audience reaction out of it, all you have is really connecting with the other performers. Um, so one thing that I found with uh, AJ within the group um, is I now really enjoy making AJ laugh because I never made AJ laugh whilst we were live on stage together. Really? But, <laughs> but now I just, like, I, all I can see is my face and three other faces and I'm just playing to them a lot more. And I, I think that, one of the things we're always complimented on uh, in our shows, which was, was really nice, um, was people going, wow, you must really know each other well. There's such incredible trust between you, um, which uh, I think I can see a lot more now because we're, we're literally four voices in a void trying to be funny for our own survival. Um, <laughs> such a bleak way of describing it. <laughs> Hey, baby, that's arts in 2021, you know? Very true, very true. Oh, we're coming true. up with new crazy artistic things so that we can live <laughs> through the plague. Uh, Sean asked me not to yell uh, during this because it messes with his audio levels. But there's a plague, Sean! <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just dial you down a bit. <laughs> you can't <laughs> dial down the plague! <laughs> and you were a bit of a late bloomer getting into performing, weren't you? Excuse me? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Sean saw a, a show last month and was like, not yet, not yet, you'll get there. Um, yeah, I, I was very, very quiet at school, which I think um, you'll find quite a few of the people uh, who who are in improv, you, you, you'll get that vibe. There seems to be a large contingent of the people who are in improv, of those who did not go for drama stuff when younger, and then tried to course correct into it and went, wait a minute. I want to do this, but I don't feel like a confident actor. I do feel that I can confidently make noises uh, as long as I can choose those noises. Um, but I, as a kid, was... I mean, when I had braces, I, I tried not to open my mouth at all. So my smiles were just these intense grimaces, um, which is horrifying to look back on <laughs> in photos now. Um, but yeah, I, I was, was very quiet. And then I think towards the end of school, I was like, you know what? however quiet I am and however meek I am in trying to make everyone like me. No one likes me. So I suddenly became a lot louder and a lot more like, you know, fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck all of you. Fuck everything. This is ridiculous. And people responded to that vibe. Um, and that's what I'm now bringing to the rest of my life. <laughs> and what caused this epiphany? Was there like a moment or? Oh, epiphany. My first love. Um... <laughs> I can bring the dad jokes, and I will. I'm 31 now. Um, I think I, I came out of my shell more because I think actually there was one really specific moment uh, towards the end of school when there was this, this weird class on, like, getting a job um, in the school hall. And um, they were trying to teach confidence and an ability to chat with the interviewer as part of it. And we were split into groups of about 10. and for some reason, they, they said, uh, oh, we want you to tell the story of your best holiday and your worst holiday. 
um, and no one else in the group of 10 wanted to, to do the speaking part. So I ended up in front of my year group um, just telling this story, which was a lie because I'd had no interesting holidays, um, telling this complete lie story and suddenly getting laughs from everyone. And, and during that and after that as well, I was like, oh, no, I've been silent all this time. I could have been getting laughs. <laughs> Well, that's the same as emotional connection. I love it. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, it's it was just a case of of getting being forced into trying the thing, trying that performance thing, and also trying speaking up and going, "Oh, I love this." Um, and I'd avoided any of that kind of thing for my whole life up to that point. Um, yeah, wow, so, so that, that was, was the moment. that was the point of no return. Like once you went in and did that. Yeah, I then overdid it. I definitely overdid it for a bit. I was one of those <laughs> kids who was like, I'm going to be random. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, rem- I was on this internet forum. Um, this isn't going dodgy, but uh, I was on this internet forum uh, and I won't even name it because I, I'm so embarrassed now. And I thought I was there being funny and wacky. But at the same time, I was 16. I was sleeping average about three hours a night just because I could not sleep for some reason. And after a few months on there, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, they all hate me and they think that I'm trying to annoy them. Oh, dear. Um, So I, I, of course, (laughs) corrected back and forth a few times during my teens. Um, And luckily, when I hit a university, um, after a bit of time there, I found the Holloway players um, who were very welcoming and (laughs) I think slowly helped me balance things. I found a social life and I found performance and i also found more importantly i think a kind of performance that if you're doing it right isn't just listen to how much i can talk listen to how smart i can be but is actually focusing on the other person and connecting with other people which i really needed as you can tell from the prior bits of this story (laughs) so you you get to royal holloway university the holloway players are the improv troupe there Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did they perform? Like, did they have a coach? What was the structure? No, it, it was very, um, so I joined in the second year of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no money. There were no teachers. There were suggestions to read, uh, the same books I think everyone's heard of. So, uh, Keith Johnston's Impro, Impro for Storytellers, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Improv Handbook, um, uh, which... Some people did read that, and then the others were just banging. Um, and there was kind of, there's a definite split there of the two groups in the whole way. So players. hold on, some people are studying improv and trying to develop in improv, and the other half and, are... And the others a- were, I remember this day, which was, uh, there was someone who'd come along um, <laughs> to specifically to seduce someone else. And, um, and props to her. She saw what she wanted, she went for it, she got that first scene... Um, was you know like basic improv thing someone said to her oh um, excuse me uh, how much for uh, this fish and she immediately dropped into like oh how much for the fish well let me just check the prices behind me and immediately did you know that like back arch (laughs) on the floor where you put your hands behind you on the floor and you arch over backwards and she did that and went well and we're like what is happening really that was that was her first ever scene that's the first time she came along and then straight after the straight after the the rehearsal just went 
to the guy and was like, so my place? Wow, cool. <laughs> that is a bold move. I love that confidence. <laughs> I love it. Um, and it did happen. So good for them. Um, yeah, that was... So it was a, a unique improv environment by the sounds of it. It was, it was unique. Um, no, it, it was... Um, it was... I wonder what happened to those two. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, the, in terms of the actual improv there, I think everyone was doing what you should really do and coming along for fun and having a fun, silly time. Um, but yeah, we were all self-teaching and we were all just trying. I think that the main thing there, as everyone starts off with in improv, is just everyone was there to show off. And as I say, some of us, that was a social thing. Um, some of us were showing off because we actually felt quite uh, insecure. Some of us were just trying to make friends, blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, that, that was the core of it. And then some people took that on going, oh, I, I actually want to follow this as more of an art form, um, which is what led on to Shoot From The Hip, which is the improv group. I am still in a decade later. Why? Yeah. Wait, was that wow or why? Because two no, valid points. Yeah, no, that was, that was a genuine why. Like, mm. yeah, that's that's uh, a long time after university to be in one team. It is. Uh, so, so just to get an idea, I mean, obviously, improv storytellers and Keith Johnson's improv, for example, you know, there's a lot of focus on narrative improv and theater sports, which is, you know, an extension of short form. So did you kind of focus on those two elements as opposed to long form or did you kind of do all of the above? So uh, back then and also going into uh, going into Shoot From Hip and at university, we started off with short form. Um and later on sort of nudged up against the longer form. Um, so going specifically into Shoot From The Hip, uh, I think our first few years, and one of the things that sets us apart from a lot of London, uh, UK improv groups, and this isn't a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it does. I love that full disclosure at the start. Full disclosure. <laughs> um, there have been many downsides to this and many upsides, which we'll go into over a podcast. Now for our first ad break. Mmm, here comes chorizo. It's delicious. Um, that's the end of that ad break. I love yeah, just so a, a generic advert for chorizo as a whole. I mean, you've got, people should know it's delicious. I'm vegetarian now, and the one thing I dream of is chorizo. Anyway, um, where I was before all of these sentences was the short form thing. Yeah, when we first came out of university and when we started Shoot From The Hip, it was a short form group. And a large part of that was because we were a comedy club improv group, right? Which means we were going up to places that were only putting on stand up. And we were saying the upside with us is you can just put us on for a couple of hours and forget about it like you don't need a new person next week we were looking very much for a residency you don't need a new person because we'll have burned our material we'll have used it for your club uh you don't need to worry about us us workshopping it you you don't need to come on between acts and check if anyone's overrunning just give us your least favorite night um open up your bar you make lots of money at the bar. We will have a bucket at the end, possible, and the club owners will be happy. Um, and then we would have a bucket at the end. So it was kind of an improvised price for an improvised show. Um, and but just, just to say, though, I mean, that yeah. is remarkably brave, considering you're just out of university, you're a new team. 
and rather than you know setting up your own improv night which most teams would do you went to like an established comedy club and said look we want to do improv for your stand-up mm-hmm. audience i mean most improvisers who are really experienced would avoid a stand-up audience because huh. it's such a different animal to well, that, like, like a I theater mean, that, audience or an improv audience yeah that's your your initial question which i bumbled my way away from um so that's that's why we were doing short form because in terms of a stand-up crowd if we go we're now going to do a quick uh play for you which will take half an hour so sit still and focus on the narrative we were performing <laughs> to a lot of drunk people uh, we were performing to a lot of people who were expecting snappy jokes so that's why we we did short form and i think the, the reason we went to those clubs was partly partly boldness uh but partly also I, I think we'd take a big swing. That was the, the plan behind it, right? Going, look, you've already got a building, a night, crowds coming in. So the, the first place we went to was Top Secret Comedy Club, which is now huge and was mm. doing well back then. But they were open, I think, four nights a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And we came along and went, no one likes Tuesdays. How about we just, <laughs> we'll take Tuesday. Um, and you just open the bar and do nothing. We all fly our own show. You know, the, the classic uh, desperate improv firing. Um, and we'll, we'll do short form for people and they will buy drinks and you'll make a, a bit of money and we'll make a bit in a bucket as well. And at first we weren't covering travel. Um, but anyway, for all of these reasons, we did short form because it translated best to a crowd who did not come to see improv. Um, and then as we developed over time, we developed a shape to our show that was first half short form and then second half long form. And the idea was, we'll tell them what improv is in the first half. Uh, really, hopefully, we will make them like us and trust us. Um, and then in the second half, we'll go, we're gonna, again, take a bigger swing here, see how it goes. And even if it failed, hopefully we'd won over enough goodwill that they would go, well, they tried something. Half of it was really good. The long forms were rough at first uh, compared to the short form. But uh, over time, I think they became, for me, they became my favourite part of the show. And the audience really responded to them. It would always, I always think of it as the short form in the first half was always somewhere between three and four stars. Great. And then the long form could be anywhere between two and five stars. Okay, um, so it was a lot more of a gamble doing the long form. It's more of a gamble. Yeah, well, because we our, our long form, we were talking about narrative a minute ago. And there, there's lots of really fun formats but ours would literally be take a word or an opening line or whatever and then off you go and see you in half an hour um yeah we'd just leave the club for half an hour it was <laughs> it was a shockingly brave move on our part um, it was very no, avant-garde theater very avant-garde sometimes we'd come in through the back entrance of the club and be like oh there's no show on um, we did actually do that once that was a really fun one um we walked we ran out through the uh, the main exit, um, leaving one of the players on stage, and then all came back in with our coats through the front door um, because the scene wasn't going well, and our way to fix it was to go full meta. Um, <laughs> oh, looks like this is a terrible comedy night. I don't like it at all. Look, Jerry, Jerry is always funny. Jerry, get up and do your stand up. Um, and that that was how that scene progressed. Anyway. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> what kind of audiences did you get initially? I mean, are we talking like fringe audiences where you were performing to like no, three people that... sometimes? Or was it always well, a fairly significant crowd? Uh, our first, I 
think our very first one was 17 people. That's oh, not bad se- for a first show. It's Well, it's not bad, but again, that was almost entirely down to... Uh, well, we had a couple of gigs in random places that were... There was one that was a university crowd just as we are coming out of uni, so it was people we, we knew, and that was maybe about 40, which was lovely. And then after that, it did just build, and part of that was us flowering. Part of that was the club's reputation. By the time we were a few years in and they'd actually moved location, we had audiences of a couple of hundred a night. Wow. And that was gorgeous. Um, mm. That's the dream, I, I, yeah. That is the dream. Um, the thing is, the club was, was getting bigger and bigger, and so there was pressure of like, oh, you could be putting on TV stand-ups. Um, so it was a bit stressful at the same time. But yeah, we had this huge club coming along, but almost none of them. We'd have a core contingent of maybe a quarter of that, um, who'd come to see us, and then the others were there for a night out, and they were usually students uh, or tourists, and start of every show, we were going, you don't know what improv is. It's fun. We'll explain by being funny. Um, and we had an opening speech that was very tight, and that was basically scripted so that people wouldn't be tense about it and going, oh, God, I've made a mistake. Um, get a few laughs there, show that we're funny, do... Uh, a massive crowd pleaser in our first game we almost always did change otherwise known as new choice um which i think really shows what improv is so oh okay fast new ideas drop of a hat top of your head boom 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 which are also great improv group names i i presume they exist go and see those guys (laughs) Uh, um and yeah, so we, we were really selling ourselves to a non-improv audience every night. But it did also mean that we, at first at least, did not take performance risk as much. We were very much going, what will get the big last? Boom, 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 off stage. Boom, 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 off stage. Um, because if we tried to do anything a bit more avant-garde, as we discussed <laughs> earlier, um, we were worried they'd go, where's the, where's the jokes? It's been 30 seconds, no joke in there they're doing a motion we don't like it and we actually found that audience was audiences were very receptive to the emotional stuff um by the end there we had uh, we made people cry we got a couple of standing ovations which was amazing um but we had to first and foremost go you haven't come here for improv let us sell you on it which was very strange whereas other uh, clubs so things like uh hoopla or the fa in london um they have a much more improv literate audience so Mm. you can go along and go i'm going to try something new with the form that you know the basic form so let's try this new thing and see how we all feel about it together which is amazing um and the few times we've performed at those it's been lovely and so welcoming um yeah anyway so that was a huge difference and i think something that makes shoot from the hip a bit of an oddity in the landscape so you kind of developed a formula so to speak, that would mm. respond well to non-improv audiences and you'd be able to engage them. And then yeah. in, you could then, once you kind of had them, you could then take risks in the second half that you, would, you wouldn't normally try. Yeah, I mean, the, the first few years we were doing just short form there, or maybe the first, first like one or two years. Um, and then we were getting bored of the, of the short form. Um, because it's lovely, but we were going, okay, we're hitting the same beats, blah, blah, blah. And if you are bored on stage, the energy's not the same for the audience. They can feel that boredom, however much you try and put a big smile over it. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of went, right, we've got to... And there were always different members within the group as well arguing for, ah, oh, well, we, we want to keep 
making the money we make here, which is better than the average, um, than, better than the average improv show. Not better than the average normal person. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> um, but yeah, we uh, we were um, going, okay, we, we, we want to keep making that, but also we can't just bore ourselves to death. Um, and so slowly we were going, right, well, we have to bring this in for our own sanity. Also, let's make it fun for the audience. Um, so yeah, we, we had, I think first half became very, it would be something like uh, change, hand of God, then do a little scene, just freeform scene, uh, time warp, genre, guessing game, and that's the first half, go and get your drinks so that they will have us back next week. And then the second <laughs> half, that long form. Um, and as I say, by the end of our time there, um, the long form, I think, was everyone's favourite thing. I think, including the audience, when we did it well. Uh, and even when we did it badly, it was fine. It was uh, engaging. The, um, I mean, hopefully, yeah. Like, the worst, the worst times we were doing it, it was competent um, because we were... I want to say we were professional. It's hard to judge yourself, but I think we were always aware of, look, make sure that these people have come along to see your show are happy. It should be competent at least. But on the very good days, as I say, there were, we were coming off stage going, how did we do that? <laughs> but as players though, feeling. oh, absolutely. Mm. But as players, I did notice that you all would attack the stage you know you were all of one energy when you went on that was one thing that always stood out to me when i watched you guys perform i mean what was the kind of the agreement within the team i mean i find most teams that perform well there's always kind of you know a united kind of goal like would you anticipate what each other were trying to do so you could support immediately or was Hmm. it all about you know if this is if this scene is dying we're all going to go down together or would you try and get each other out like what was the kind of mantra um, so I think going back to, to when you were talking about coaching before and our approach, everything we just kind of worked out by an incredible amount of trial and error. Um, and so I think there were early days where if something was going down, we kind of sit on the side and just shake our heads and go, oh, come on, we've talked about this. Um, and uh, we'd all be going in trying to go, I've got a funny joke. Um, I know in my very early days, I used to write down things I'd done I was proud of, um, which shows you how fragile my ego was, right? I, I, was, I was going, yes, I did something good. Well, to be fair, myself. you were putting yourself into an enormous amount of pressure in terms of setting and like, you know, the, the audiences you were getting and stuff. So, mm-hmm. and you were still very early days in your improv oh, well, career. Well, this was when I was at university that I was, was doing that. Oh, the, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think at first that is what we do. And I think by the time we actually were out of university, we were a lot more supportive. And at first we had to push for that and be like, no, no, we go in, we look after each other. Um, and then by the, uh, I mean, by this point, it's the most natural thing to me is if someone's struggling in a scene, course i'm going in um i don't really think about it and i don't think any of us have thought about it you know that's 10 years practice mm. and i want to say it's selfless but it's you know it's it's not really right because we're all creating something together and whereas it used to be oh their scene isn't going well now it's we are a team if if it's not going well for them that's because i'm not helping them out um and i think that the trust between us has really grown and grown to be fair though it's a quite different lineup from when we started 
I've been there from the start, as has uh, Luke and Sam. Um, but yeah, when we started, it was eight people who have all, uh, a lot of us have gone on in different ways. So uh, Ellen uh, headed off to RADA and did, uh, I believe, set design and stuff. She seems to be doing, having an amazing life. Um, so <laughs> she she's doing, she's sort of gone in the most arty direction. Um, uh, there's, uh, there's Bruce, who was always the king of tech stuff. Um, and I believe remains the king of tech stuff. <laughs> if you ever need a tech man. Um, but he he would do sort of, he would do all the, the magic of that and also bring this like joyful, crazy energy to the stage. Um, uh, so there, there were, then there was uh, Josh, who uh, will forever be known as Handsome Josh, um, who has, like everyone, you, they'd be like, you can't just call them and you show them a picture. Like, oh, okay, he's Handsome Josh, I get it. Like he would just hang out on a motorbike with a leather jacket. You know how it is. That's just natural to him. Classic he'd just go, Josh. He'd, go, he'd see a mountain and be like, hmm, I'm going to go climb that. And he'd be off. Um, so that was Josh. Uh, Josh has sadly passed away in the last couple of years. Oh, I'm um, sorry. And we... Uh, it was amazing. It was lovely having him in the group. Uh, we had Paul, uh, who has done some fantastic TV work uh, and is doing some excellent writing things as well. Um, and we had Dan, who I believe, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he got deported back to Malaysia and married a princess. I, I think that's his wow. story. <laughs> so uh, he did the happiest ending by the sound of it. I everyone. think so. I think that, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty strong. That's pretty um, epic, getting deported and then marrying a princess. It's not generally how it goes, I don't think, in that order. I mean, he was, he was already, he was, he was doing well. Um, but he, uh, yeah, so it's, it's quite, and AJ has joined us, um, joined the group since then. So yeah, it's a very different group. And I think... I think it, it's, it's maybe tightened up because it's a smaller group, because it's people who really, really want to be there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to sell it as like, oh, well, it's just been, it's been an easy road where it's stayed with the, the same people and we've just become more like some people have left going, you know what, this, isn't, this doesn't quite work for me. Um, and we do have fractious days, but I think at this point we all... I, I would trust uh the rest of shoot from hit with with anything i can go on stage with um and that's such like, a big part of it i mean if you're going to walk on stage in front of a lot of people with nothing mm. prepared you i think that trust is so essential I in order they, to do a, a good show and actually do you yourself yeah. and your teammates justice yeah you you have to trust that they will <laughs> that they'll be there for you and you can be there for them etc i think the the biggest thing i've learned in improv in all this time is having confidence both in yourself and the other people um you know i've i've learned some funny physical tricks uh, i've learned narrative things but the the fact is now i can confidently walk on with absolutely nothing and make a noise and know well it's fine because not only do i know oh it'll probably get a laugh i also know if it gets zero laughs that's ah, fine i'll do something <laughs> else and the team will be there for me i think that often marks out the people who are just starting improv and are crazy talented and crazy skillful um, who go on going, this has to work, I have to get it. Uh, uh, and the people going, this might be a complete failure and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that, that experience is so visible. 
when you hmm. see people perform because it, yeah. they know the world's not going to end if their scene doesn't work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think but, that that's also the distance from doing your <laughs> doing your arts degree, right? When you're like <laughs> eighteen and like, oh boy, I really this is the most important groundbreaking thing, and then you you're coming up in in your thirties. I just I'm just going to sit here for a minute. Fine. <laughs> I just want to be good. I just don't want it to be bad. <laughs> You're yeah. going to get to that point. So obviously, there's a huge amount of trust between you guys. You've, you've, you've had a lot of success over the years in terms of like performing to stand-up audiences. You know, you, you're so well promoted. You know, you're re- reviewed well in like the Metro, the Times, uh, various other publications. Wait, the Times? Where are we in the Times? I'm... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it was, it, <laughs> we, it, we're in, uh, well, um, actually, I think we were... Were we mentioned? I don't. It all blends together. But we've been recommended by the Evening Standard, the Metro, Time Out. Uh, ah, Spotlight, Time Out. That's where I got wrong. <laughs> uh, the Londonist, uh, a few others, which is lovely. Again, we've been, <laughs> we've been going for a decade, um, but it's it is it's it's lovely having those uh, having those pulled. It's especially because you go, oh, I do improv comedy, and for example, your in laws might go, okay, and you go, but. I'm recommended by. <laughs> and then vindicate like, you. Okay, you're back. You're back in. Uh, that's fine. Anyway, you had a question before I interrupted to correct your terrible research. Oh, right. nightmare. <laughs> so I was going to ask, what's your worst show experience with oh, Shoot from the Hip? Oh, snap. And uh, um, what did you learn from it? Okay, uh, worst show. A few, a few spring to mind. Um, probably the very worst one is a story I like to call the Racist Golf Club. Um, <laughs> Amazing title. <laughs> great. Thank you very much. Um, so we were booked to do a corporate show, and it was myself, uh, Paul, and Luke. And we, uh, we, we were booked to do this little corporate show, and it started out with the, the lovely uh, woman who had booked us. I can't remember her name, but she was very nice. And was this in um, London? This, what, this was just outside London, I think, in Surrey, which okay. had, um, I mean, it's a Surrey golf club, which should immediately have set off alarm bells. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, we, we turned up. She was very nice. She offered us biscuits uh, and tea, which was Aww. lovely. And she went, okay, so everyone's in there. And we saw a room full of, you know, there's, there's what, so myself and Sean are both white, but you know, there's white people. And then there's, uh-oh, white people. Um, yeah, and you know maybe we like to think there's a bigger differentiation there uh, than there is. I hope there's a big differentiation. But my point being, so we you're, into in, you're in, in other words, you're in a very strong right wing kind of environment immediately it, when you enter this it golf club. It looked like a room where where they they had a sign out of sight going mm, white people golf club. Just just to be clear, that was the vibe wow. that we all we were discussing. The vibe and what was the, the occasion? Out. Why were you there? Was it a special? So occasion they had. I think for golf club, I think there'd just been some kind of some kind of local cup, and they had a trophy in the corner. And the intro to this room from this nice lady was um, okay. So the trophy, do you see that trophy? Okay, that's where you're performing. That glass trophy on a plinth. And to be clear with everyone, the trophy does not break during this story. But that was a level of tension. She put us in front of a glass. That felt like a lot trophy. of foreshadowing. Of what I know, which is why care. I have to, I have to shatter that balloon, unlike <laughs> the trophy. Um, but we was in front of this plinth that took up half of what would have been the performance space, which was the corner of this little restaurant space in the golf club. Anyway, we went in. Uh, we did the half hour, I think, that we were booked for. Um, 
And in between games, uh, Paul, uh, who is uh, from Sri Lanka, uh, he's South Asian, he leaned over to, I think it was to Luke, and I think I saw half overheard, and then we were talking about it later. But basically, he was looking at people and going, they're, they're looking at me in a way that says they don't like me. Really? Yeah. So That, that is was, awful. That added a real tension. And there were little laughs throughout what we were doing. But you know when the laugh is the exception and other audience members were looking at the laughers like, no, no, don't laugh. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. a huge amount of tension in the room. Yeah. And then uh, the last game we did was Three-Headed Monster and... In Three-Headed Monster, uh, the three of us speak at the same time. We go, anyone have any questions? And then we try and answer with one voice. Mm-hmm. And we did a couple of half-hearted questions. And then the last one we got from someone at the back was, which one of you's the gay? Oh, Yeah, that was, that was the... And I'm really proud of our answer, uh, which wasn't true. Um, but it was just our, our way of pushing back. Because I think... I think may, maybe the, the urge would be to try and get in with the joke or to, to bat it away. Um, but we just, very, I think is the fastest answer we gave of the night, which was we just went, all of us. Ah, oh, beautiful, beautiful. Love that. Silence in the room, dead silence. And then we went, right, that's our show. Good night. And walked out. And the, the very nice lady, again, was walking with us going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, I didn't know they'd be like, I, I'm really sorry. I'll, uh, I'll send you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, grim, right? Oh my God. Um, how long were you performing for? Like, how long was that set? Uh, I believe it was around three epochs of the earth. Um, <laughs> never ended. Um, time lost was, all meaning. Yeah, I think it's about half an hour. Um, oh my god, but, that must have been agonizing. Yeah, well, I think the, I, I, I think the thing I learned because you you asked what I learned from this this fun story. It's not fun, <laughs> is it? Um, was uh, again that that trust between the three of us that we could be in this aggressive, mostly very unpleasant room, and be like, right, we've got each other, and we don't have to bow down to that. We've also we've had people. Um, when we're on stage, yell out stuff that is unpleasant. We've had massively sexist stuff being yelled out because we we are a group of of all boys. We've had sexist stuff yelled out. We've had people uh, want us to do, uh, to take basically racist suggestions. Um, We've had, I I think Paul, Paul always pointed out as well, he's like, they always want me to take certain suggestions that they don't ask for from a rest of us. Like, really? Was, That's well, he horrible. Would get, he'd get Bollywood shouted out a lot more. Like, why should I do Bollywood for you? Why, why are you looking at me and going, but go on, tell me. Um, and how would but, you respond to that? Would you just brush it aside? Would you kind of take the piss out of it? I think usually it? we, yeah, we took the piss. And I think usually, and I think more as we went along as well, we'd, we'd call it out and we kicked a few people out mid-show as well. Um, really? How would you do a, that? Not Just... a huge number. Uh, like... Well, at, at uh, I think at first we would try and call someone from the bar, and then a few times we we had talks with people in the audience, and we're like, "Look, the show's not coming back until you go. So if you could finish your drink." Um, there was well one done. time. There was one time we had to. Well, you know, it's it is also a, a, a self preservation thing. But we. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the, I mean, the other option is just go. Oh, what you're shouting out is fine. Which, when you're commanding the stage and the mic, that's 
I mean, you, you've got the responsibility there, right? You have to, if someone shouts that out, it's entirely up to you whether you go, this is fine, or shut it down. And yeah, uh, yeah you, you, but it's you never an to... easy thing because you've got, what, 200 people looking at you. You're mm. trying to run a show. You're trying to address. <laughs> trying to keep it light. Yeah, you're trying, fun, to keep, you're trying to keep, create this fun energy that you've been working so hard to create. You don't want to ruin mm. by like just shouting abuse at this um, member of the audience. Yeah. But at the same time, you want to make it clear that that's not acceptable behavior. I mean, we, we'd always, we'd start out with a jokey retort and, a, and that shut most people down, but some mm. people not. There was what the, <laughs> we had to throw out a group of mounted policemen from the Top Secret Comedy Club once. Uh, and what the, the, really? The bar star, I mean, they weren't mounted at the time. That would have been. I was crazy. Say, that would have been incredible. <laughs> um, and the, the bar staff were were lovely and were very helpful as well. But we we you know twenty three to twenty five year old uh, art students had to go over to this batch of about ten policemen because again they were shouting out this kind of stuff, which maybe isn't shocking to many people, um, and just be like guys, maybe head on to a club or something. You're not. We we do, we don't want you here, thanks. And luckily, their commanding officer—I don't know if he was more sober or what—so uh, all of them were like, "Ah, anyway, boys, we're off. Come on, get your shit, we're off." Because we had no, <laughs> there was no way we were going to win against eight uh, policemen if they wanted to stay. Each yeah, but he was probably was just visualizing the headline in the papers the next day for riot yeah, broke out the comedy club with a load probably, of mounted yeah. police. And uh, so luckily, he <laughs> took them away. But yeah. Um, Oh god, I've gone way off your so the 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 golf club thing, yeah. Just learned that we had to stick together and we could get through anything stage wise. Which again, I think really uh, is the core of improv. Boom! Oh, no. I brought it back. I I found <laughs> the ending in the beginning. That's what I did, Sean. No, that that's that's so so true because you know a lot of people say you know before they go on stage before an improv show you know you pat each other on the back and you say got your back. But when, when, you know, things do go wrong and things you know will go wrong in improv shows, no matter how experienced you are, but it, there's such a temptation to just kind of go inside yourself, you know, get in your head and kind of start beating yourself up while you're still on stage. But what you really need to do is look at your teammates and think, how can I help them? You know what I mean? Mm. You need to be a bit more selfless about it. And it sounds like you guys learned that, as you said, from trial and error, but that's such an important lesson and that pretty so stood to you. <laughs> but that pretty stood to you like later on when you, when you were faced with situations like that so um i think that's a big yeah, one yeah again we didn't we didn't always manage it especially in the early days um but i i think i think we always tried to um and i think we tried harder and harder over time to be like oh i am i am here for you i'm not just not just looking after my own business um <laughs> so yes agreed <laughs> and uh, how do you prepare for shows like what's your routine like how do you get in the zone right so we actually hang on one was the last one i actually looked this up because sean and i were were chatting recently um listeners at home or wherever you are maybe you're running good for you <laughs> you know get some air um but i i looked this up uh, and the last time we did a rehearsal was 2013 um, wow really and that was a one-off and the last regular one was 2012 um yeah because we've been doing most of that time we were doing two shows a week mm. uh, some of that time we were doing three shows a week um and we just we just kind of uh 
uh, again, trial and errored it on stage. And so before shows, we used to uh, we used to do full warm ups, um, and then they became a bit shorter. And the last sort of couple of years, I think we just went on stage. And part of that was because we used to go on. I think as as you mentioned earlier. Sean, we used to go on and be like, bam, we're loud, we're here. Okay, don't go, please, keep looking. Um, here's a funny thing, you're laughing, okay. Um, and although we would get laughs and high energy from that approach, we then had to keep that up the whole time. And it was easy to veer into desperation and one missed joke and suddenly, oof, you've lost them. Um, <laughs> whereas we kind of realised, you know what, we've got the core we have a trust in each other. We know how improv works. We should be able to go on and go, hi, everyone. This is going to be really fun. Uh, we're going to have a lovely show together. Welcome, um, blah, blah, blah. And then go into our first game in a slightly more relaxed way, in a way that meant the tone didn't have to be up, up, up the whole time. You know, If you have something that is full speed for an hour and a quarter, People might really enjoy it, but they're probably done after 40 minutes. Okay, yeah. this has all been one speed. Um, it's so we made more in- of a sign of confidence, I think, as well, when you go up on stage and you're relaxed and you're kind of in control yeah, of the stage. A, a lot of my favourite um, improv shows I've seen, you know, you can just get someone calmly standing there and they're still magnetic because they don't look lost. They don't look like, oh, God, how am I going to entertain people now? Uh, they're not rushing to jokes. Mm. Um, so yeah, we 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 did fewer warm ups for that reason, and then the uh, the only thing I was doing was a uh, a sort of tongue untwisting thing before shows. By the end, which was was mostly superstition, which was doing um, a verse from one week by uh, oh a bare naked ladies. Um, I mean, here comes again. Here comes that that toxic. It, this feels like a toxic white person thing to do. I don't know why, but it does, right? Is that just me? <laughs> well, very... let's hear you do it, and I'll tell you after. What is it? Oh, I see, now that I've been locked inside for a year, I haven't done it in ages, but uh, chickadee china to Chinese chicken, you have a drumstick and your brain starts ticking, watching the stars with the lights on, in Donald Maison, I hope the smoking man's in this one, like Harrison Ford in Game Frantic, Lesting and Tantric, Lesting is guaranteed to satisfy, like Kurosawa, yeah, I make films, can't make films, but if I did, I'd have a samurai. Oh, well done. <laughs> and I'd usually do it a bit faster. And basically when I ran out of breath, that was, that was when I was done. Um, but if I was tripping over that, then I'd do some more vocally stuff. Because as confident as you are, you don't want to get on the stage and go, nah, oh, ah, fuck it. There goes so that, my there so goes that was your joke. gauge. That's how you measured That's if you were That's my gauge of whether ready. I was awake. Oh, and the other thing was if I'd forgotten my hair gel... I wasn't going to have a good show. No, no. <laughs> Nothing like a bit of pre-show superstition. Yeah, that, I mean, that showed... A, I mean, trying to work out the logic of that later, I was like, okay, that shows that I'm not switched on enough today. If I'm forgetting one of the three things I, I mean to bring with me to this show, like keys, phone, hair gel. If I've forgotten one of those, that shows I'm not with it enough to be a sharp improv comedian today. Um, but it might have just been that I, I rely on my hair. That's the other, the other option. <laughs> Your hair uh, improviser. Yeah. And what advice would you have for up and coming improvisers? Uh, okay, I'm going to do two. Um, oh, okay. I know, because I feel like the big thing we have had to struggle with uh, and have also learned a lot about is going to be the business side, um, which, yeah, I think a lot of 
improv groups miss that. But if you're coming out of university, if you're coming out of those friendly classrooms, coming out into the real world, you're going to have to interact with people who own clubs and run it as a business. Um, so in terms of the, the improv, I think, as I said before, you've got to just have complete trust in one another and confidence both in them and in yourself. Um, if you're, you can be doing the same material, but if you truly believe that everything is fine, that you should feel confident in yourself as a performer, it's going to go so much better. And I think that's the main thing that has developed in me, confidence in myself and the team. Mm. So that's about probably 50% of my improv journey um, <laughs> has been that building and building. And it's well, that's so an, true, though. It's so, so true. And it's, it's such so an integral. ephemeral thing. You yeah. can't just say to someone, be confident. Um, but keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on, on when you're sabotaging yourself by sort of going half, half committing to something and going, mm. okay, I've only half committed so I can pull back. Um, if you go all in, even if it's not funny, I find people will laugh. There have been times I've tried something, it hasn't been funny. The whole group's mocked me. The audience is laughing at slash with me. But because I look happy, it's gone wrong. It's gone right. Um, yeah, you're, so kinda, that, you're finding joy in the moment. That's, that's yeah, really important. You find joy in it going horribly wrong. There's a, a story of, uh, gosh, I, I think it was maybe the IO, um, Chicago, somewhere in America, of a show, anyway. Um, one of the big schools where uh, this scene was not going well um, and one of the other improvisers came in from off stage uh, pretending to be hanging down from a helicopter hey hey you guys it looks like you're stuck in a terrible improv scene let me get you out of there and then they were grabbing his arm like oh thank god I, I, I couldn't go on and, and that's lovely and they found the, the joy in that because they were confident in each other and themselves mm. and they weren't going oh this really reflects badly on me and just getting meeker and meeker um, and so I, I think that's probably my big big headline for improv as something to to develop in yourself and your team and then on the business side of things um, I think yeah, firstly, recognizing that there will be a business element if you plan to keep it going. If you're just doing one for fun, then great. If you're doing a few for fun, great. If you want to keep going in improv, you've got to track your costs. You've got to see how people can fit it around the day job. Um, and you've also got to, when you're going to clubs, make sure there is a way to get paid. Um, because I think we quite often go, well, I'm having fun, so I don't deserve to be paid. Whereas actually, you need to recognise that you are bringing them something of value, right? If you're going into a comedy club and saying, I will entertain your 100 people whilst they buy drinks from you, then if you go, I'm just doing that for free, then you will always be doing it for free and you'll be undervalued. So mm. we, we don't charge people to come into our shows wherever possible. We do a free show. And when we do a paid one, it will be for charity or there'll be some extra special thing that makes it worth that, hopefully. Um, but usually we, we, we have a bucket and we go, we are worth the money that will go into that bucket for one thing. Um, so at the end of the show, we go, oh, if, you, if you've got, a, we think the show is worth £15, which is built over, we used to say a fiver, then we said a tenner, then we said 15. And we found the more we said, the more people actually put in. doesn't mean they all put in 15, but they go, oh, this show has value. If I'm not paying 15, then maybe it is worth a fiver. 
Whereas if it wasn't worth a fiver, it was worth a couple of coppers. But we'd say, put that in. If you don't have that, tenner, fiver would be lovely. Thank you so much. If you've just got a couple of coppers, keep them. Because, <laughs> um, again, we're recognising our own worth. Uh, and, you know, and by recognising it, we're making that worth higher. Um, and in terms of the, the, the business stuff there, we were saying both to the club and to punters, you know, we, we, we are we are recognizing that we are bringing you something of value um i know people have performed have paid to perform um for their group to go along and perform somewhere and maybe it is a very low budget show so we've had uh, guests along uh, and on uh, the good times in our career we have paid them and other times we have said up front we we can't pay you for this one because we're expecting to make about thirty pounds. <laughs> the streamyard bill is twenty seven pounds a month. Um, but uh, you know, if you want to come on, uh, and these uh, have mostly been non improvisers, then you know, plug your show, plug what you do. We'll plug your stuff. Uh, we'd love to appear on your thing and be of help to you, etc. But always recognizing there is that value that you are bringing um, to the club. Uh, to entertaining other people, etc., and it's not something where you can afford to undervalue yourself. Uh, this is a long and rambling answer, but I hope it's no, sort of it's, made sense it's very true. Know. It's very, very true, and I think yeah, it's important to set that precedent early on. Otherwise, I, you're, I, gonna, you're I know chasing of, it. Otherwise, yeah, I know a lot of people who have done years worth of work, and they've done it with a smile, going, "Yeah, well, it's a." Uh, it is, it is tough because, you know, we've been doing this for three or so years now and we, we don't think we, we should charge. Um, and then there are other people who maybe aren't as good as them um, or are as good or whatever, but they have from the start gone, nope, this is, this, is how we, this is how we get paid. This is how we're compensated for our time. And so they do get paid. And people look at them and go, they must have worth because they're, they are taking themselves seriously. I know any money stuff feels dirty, and that's why we want to avoid it. But um, you've got to look after yourself and your team in that way as well as on stage. You know, it's, it's fair to say, yeah, anyone could go up and improvise. But the difference between a bad improv show and a, a great improv show is enormous. You know, mm. um, you could go and see Showstoppers or, you know, Glenda J Collective or, you know, um, Dreamweaver Quartet, and you're going to be blown away you'll mm. you'll, just be, you'll be astounded by the show but then if you see a new improv team or even a team that's been going for a few years and they're they're not putting the time into develop it's probably one of the hardest 30 minutes to ever sit through so there well, is it, a world of difference it's hard uh, i i think it's because because i have a lot of sympathy for that because obviously we've all done that <laughs> first show right mm. um but i think it's when it's the whole thing of when you don't know what you don't know Right. And mm. I think you can look at improv and have it described as, oh, people make things up and try to make you laugh and go, great. Well, anyone should be able to, bam, do that out of nowhere to a degree. Or if someone goes, oh, I'm funny, I can do that. Uh, and you, you can to a degree. Um, and I think that's why externally it gets devalued so much because it feels like you've put in no effort. It's probably just going to be an arrogant bunch of usually boys um going up and making noises and expecting praise um and because of that i think the the art form gets devalued and the uh and it becomes harder to again make a living from it 
And I think when, for example, when someone sees uh, bad stand-up, you go, oh, that wasn't a good stand-up joke. Uh, when you see bad, when people see bad improv, they often seem to go, I hate improv. Yeah, improv that's very really true. That's very, very true. Which is brutal. And there, there is a lot of bad improv because, again, people think you can just bleh and that's done. And I think it is fine to go bleh, this is my starting point. But there's a difference between that and recognising, you, you have to recognise it is a starting point and there yeah. will be a lot to learn, a lot to get wrong. Um, there, there are videos of us doing completely unfunny scenes uh, and completely unfunny work and not supporting each other. Um, and it, I think that the only difference between that and the tens of thousands of improv groups who start and do one show and stop is that uh, we have no financial acumen. Uh, so we decided that this was definitely, definitely the career for us. And we did just keep plugging away at it and keep making mistakes and recognizing their mistakes and slowly, hopefully sanding down the egos um, until we were supportive and not just showing off. You've been performing in improv for 10 years. What uh, differences have you found in the scene when you started out to now? Well, uh, I think on the, on the positive side, there's uh there is some more sort of feeling of uh some more feeling of respect for improv just a bit more which is great um i think it, it had more of a thing in the us before it started to break through in the uk i think mm. when we started out obviously there would have been many more groups than we saw but it felt like there were about three or four groups um in london um and with the comedy store players being the lead ones mm. um who are who are still going um so many years anyway um <laughs> yeah so it felt like there was was no one no one really doing regular shows and no one getting love for it etc and now there's uh there, there's the hoopla shows which may have been around when we started but i think we're quite small compared to where they are now there's the fa which now has a building i've just realized they must have been having to pay rent all this time oh my god it's terrifying. Uh, there's, uh, there, there's, there are so many developed shows and so many which are getting audiences as they deserve, which is fantastic. And I wonder if we were coming into the scene now, whether we would have sort of had to be so careful to, right, we'll start with short form and we'll court the uh, stand-up crowd or whether we would have been more improv welcomed. I know in one of our first shows, uh, we had... Um, we, we were doing a show and I was at the back doing the tech right at the start. Going, oh my God, that guy in the front row has such tall hair. He's going to ruin this forever. Oh, and he, he's shouting out suggestions all over. He's trying to be fun. <laughs> what, what is, who is this tall haired, funny man? And it was uh, Tom from the RH Experience. <laughs> Tom, you tall haired monster. Because um, they were just starting out and they were <laughs> coming to see other shows. Um, and see what other people were doing and the reason wow. i mentioned that is we'd only been going for a couple of months and they come to us as like a a more established element they come to watch us which tells you how little there was going on and i think the other big thing back then was so we started teaching about three or so years in and at first we only did one-off jams uh so just like drop in i think we i think we charged a tenner 
Um, drop in, we'll hire a space, and anyone who wants to can turn up and we'll, we'll do fun stuff. And that was the main, I think, again, Hoopla were teaching, again, on a smaller scale. Um, I'm sure other people were, but there weren't many teachers going around. So that little jam became one of the big improv teaching events in London, apparently. Um, and then we started teaching courses. And part of the reason we stopped teaching courses after about eight or so years was that now there are so many classes around and so many really sort of structured approaches. And you can actually start to talk about London improv schools, which did not exist at the time. Mm. Um, and I think our thing with our classes was very much great. We get a group of people in, we talk over the fundamentals. And then as it goes on, we look at how they are progressing and see what each person needs and blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas these, as I say, these different schools just have these lovely different approaches um, and, and some focus on this is going to be the most fun thing for you. Some focus on you will learn how to do this kind of scene and do it really well. Um, and actually you can now recognise in some new london improvisers you know oh i i know you've done an fa course there's an i see what you're doing i've got it um <laughs> but uh, i mean it, it's lovely that there is now that stronger community yeah there's a lot of different styles interest. and different approaches yeah i really love uh, we always send people to hoopla um to do the hoopla courses and also the fa but everyone's already heard of the fa for definite uh, in London, I think, because they've just had this huge push over last year. But if someone's going, I'm nervous, I haven't done improv before, we send them to Hoopla. It's just this incredibly friendly place. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't done improv and you're thinking of getting into it, that's actually what I'd recommend. Um, incredibly friendly, um, incredibly fun. Everyone who talks about it talks about it with a massive smile on their face. Um, yeah, Steve's done a great beautiful. job there and, like, you know, making it just feel Absolutely. very welcome and collaborative. Steve Rowe and the the whole team uh, i mean I, I know steve the best out of them i i you know these people where you're like oh he's he's my friend i don't i hope we're friends <laughs> you know he's one of these people i assume is my friend because he's just always so friendly but maybe we're just colleagues oh what if we're just colleagues sean you, you've got you've got to iron this out <laughs> you gotta you gotta speak Talk to me, steve, steve find Talk out what the hell me. is going on steve what are we <laughs> Um, yeah, he actually did. Uh, he guested on on one of our shows, and that was that was lovely. What in oh, Zoom or in uh, when oh, you were doing live stream one? That's oh, really? been one of the, the nice things about uh, the live streams is being able to get in guests who simply haven't had time um, to to do our, our live live shows. And also the other thing is when we were actually live, um, the or some of the venues uh, that we were in they basically said don't have uh, guest groups and don't have guest uh, performers. Thank you. So there were a couple of places where there's one where I'm not going to name anyone, Sean. I can feel you <laughs> wanting me to name people and I won't. Um, but they, they, we started out uh, at one venue going, right, we'll do a two-half show to make this to make this. Uh, interesting different we'll always do the first half and then we'll bring in another group uh and we'll each do our own shows and and we'll we'll have a lovely time and very quickly the the uh comedy club said okay so sometimes they're really fun and sometimes it doesn't work as well and so just just you guys um 
because obviously we tailored our show to to them a bit more over time mm-hmm. um and the the other club always went no no we will we book we book really who's, who's standing on the stage so n- no no guests except run by us and definitely no guest groups uh, and we did over time actually get in a few guests only by not ever mentioning it to the club owner. We're just like, oh yeah, this smuggle is, them in. Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is Linda. Linda's been part of a group the whole time. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't like open hostility, but there is. I think a lot of us, the time those clubs were really on the wire financially and going, look, we love these people. We may well book them by themselves, but we have to be booking because if we get if we have a bad night, it can be the difference between a group of eight people coming back every week and never coming back again. Yeah. So we need your baseline. As I say, we, we had our show was like, even when it's bad, it's it's well, even when we feel it's bad, it's passable. Um, and they had seen our passable. They'd seen our bad nights and gone, OK, well, if that's as bad as it gets, we're OK. Because, <laughs> um but but that, yes. that's but tough that's... though having that pressure you know what I mean because mm. obviously you want improv to be collaborative and things like that but then you've got the business mm. side of it where you want you know bums on seats you want people there mm. you want people coming back so it's 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 a tough trade-off and, and that's the only reason we were in those those uh, nice clubs is because we could we could allow the, the input from a club and go what makes you happy? What keeps you happy? If we just gone, we're going to try something wild and fresh and new every week. Uh, we would not have been there too long. But I think that's the, the downside uh, to having been an improv group in comedy clubs was we kind of missed out on the community, um, which was quite sad. So all these other groups were intermingling and people were, were performing with different groups all the time. And we very much stayed in our own uh, bubble, which meant we've become very close and very tight as performers and there's an incredible amount of trust between us but also we've been mostly limited to performing with the same lovely people um when it it would it would have been nice to you know meet the wider community and really yeah, feel kind of broaden your network kind of thing and yeah and there were times where we uh there were a couple of times where we went oh we we'd love to guest there was what oh, I'm still not going to name who, but there's one time where we went, oh, we, we'd love to guest at this night if you want us. Um, and the person went, oh, well, uh, you having us over to Big Club? I went, ah, we, we're not allowed to have anyone at Big Club. And they went, oh, well, see you around then. Oh, nightmare. Oh, Burr. Uh, yeah. And I think uh, for their part, they probably thought we were fibbing and going, no, 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 we, we, we don't want you anywhere near. We don't actually like you. But yeah, but your hands were tied kind of thing. Yeah. Which is. Which, yeah, is, is very weird um, because I guess I don't know. What do you think we should have done, Sean? <laughs> the moral maze with Sean and Tom. Well, I mean, like, at the end of the day, your hands were tied. You know, you were with the club, you know. Oh, say, they... say, what, say what you mean, Sean. Come <laughs> on, don't lie to me to make me feel better. I, I think it is, is a complex one because obviously we were trying to get out and perform at other people's nights whilst also going, and we won't uh, reciprocate. Um, and as much as you can give uh, an explanation for that, 
I think that those those some of those other groups were probably like, well, we'll we'll have long people who have us along and are are being part of a community in a more uh, again reciprocal way. Mm. Um, so yeah, very weird for comedy club residency life. It's it's so so feels like such an odd orbiting element of the improv world, um, and the other sort of comedy club groups I know again they haven't either either they've chosen or they haven't been allowed to mix with other groups in the same way um which is that's odd. tough that's tough yeah i mean there, as i say there are upsides as well it's lovely sometimes performing to those audiences um yeah i mean it, it's always going to be a trade-off isn't it uh, sean and i had a, another chat recently and i feel like that that chat about improv was full of joy and all upsides and laughs. Whereas this one's, I am I being dour? No, am I being dour. No, I think I think you're being very factual. It's <laughs> very much appreciated. Very factual. That's what people come to improv for. They want facts and serious learning. And that's what you're getting, everyone. Well, what's the what's the best improv show you've seen? Like what's oh what's one you've seen gone to see and it blew your mind? Oh, it's. There was so there, there, it's difficult to say because we, whenever we've seen uh, an improv show, myself or anyone in Shoot From Here, I don't know if you feel the same, the actual specifics of it go out of my mind so quickly. I'm thinking of one I loved from uh, Breaking and Entering, um, oh, just great, because yeah. Lauren and Maria seem so happy. <laughs> yeah they look like they're having a ball whenever they perform it's, it's so nice um, yeah. and we we hung out with them for a bit and they were uh we actually had them along to one of the clubs and they were uh they were loved by the club owners and they're like oh you could you could have them back but they were always they were busy etc etc um but they're they're so cool and so joyful and that was and i just i literally only remember their smiling faces and but at one point uh Lauren came out of a uh, out of a manhole from the sewer. But that's that's all I remember about that show. But I just remember big grins and happiness. Um, so that was lovely to see. Uh, gosh, what else? I I there was one uh, which was done by uh, some other people from the Holloway Players who were a year a year or two uh, younger than us, um, and they did a couple of shows sort of out in the world as well and they did one uh, under the name population eight uh, <laughs> and they, they have this format that was always i think is always going to be in the same town or village um each week and kind of uh what what's that <sighs> damn what, what was that tv show with the the local this is a local shop for local people oh league of gentlemen league of gentlemen it had that kind of tinge to it if we will come back to this village and a little bit of welcome tonight there weirdness um which is a podcast uh and that again it was the the joy of that it was just lovely to see um i think the 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 specifics of shows that i've had so many people come up to us at the end of shows and on the way out as they try very hard not to look at the bucket and just keep eye contact with you or just look at the wall uh so many will come past and about <laughs> okay well watch out for frogman and I'll be like, oh, sorry, <laughs> what, the, what are you saying? And they'll be referencing something I said 
about five minutes ago and it has gone yeah um do you find that as well it's oh, just absolutely. all the specifics I, i've had people come okay. up to me and go oh when you did this scene or when you did this character and i i like might vaguely recall it or not at all because yeah i just find you remember virtually nothing of your best shows but you can remember every <laughs> single moment of your every worst show <laughs> do you know what i mean painful moment there's yeah. there's we've got a couple of bits on our YouTube channel, um, which we hardly use outside of the live streams, but um, there's there's a lovely show we did at uh, Theatre Royal in Stratford, um, which was to we we did three or four shows uh, there, but perhaps my favourite one there were about four hundred fifty five hundred people, um, which was lovely, and it was all our friends and family as well as loads of strangers. Um, and that is recorded, and I love it for posterity. And we've got the whole long form is up there on the YouTube, and just watch it back makes me really happy. It's not the most highbrow thing we've ever done, but I did a sexy Frenchman character, <laughs> and I think it's the only time I've been like, "You gangly weirdo, you're almost sexy." Um, I'm right on the edge of getting it, but the gangle is too much. Um, and we t- we took there's one bit where I tip Luke back in his chair, so it's just on one leg. And even just watching that, I'm like, that could have gone so wrong. And um, so just just that was a, a, that's a lovely show. Obviously, that's within our own ones. I've moved on to talking about my favourite of our shows. <laughs> um, but there's also another clip on there, which is when uh, Dan, uh, who again was uh, the, the guy, got deported, married a princess. Um, cool, cool, cool. Uh, he, uh, we did a scene. It wasn't great. I don't even remember if i was in it but he comes on at the end and just like slightly pokes his head in front of the stage and goes and we'll end that there <laughs> oh my god i love that it's it's a beautiful a, a beautiful way to go yep that wasn't good and that was <laughs> that was our first few weeks um and then we we've, we've also got some some quotes and bits but yeah it's all very much fragments but uh I think from those, those that that shows the disparity between your favourite shows and painful shows, um, and I'm glad we have both recorded because it, it it keeps you happy but also humble. Yeah, keeps stay you, humble. Keeps you grounded. Keeps you grounded. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, who would you love to improvise with, Tom? Is there anybody oh, who'd be the dream? I would really like to improvise with you. I've actually oh. never improvised with Sean. I genuinely, he is the nicest man. <laughs> Um, I I would love to do that. I would also... uh, No, wait, sorry. I'm going to focus more on you before I just talk over you like a monster. No, you're great. I was going to say, when the world stops burning, we'll try and make that happen. But uh, is there anybody else you'd love to improvise with? Is it going to stop? Oh, great. That would be lovely. Um, uh, Anyone else, though? Uh, I would love to improvise with, and I feel I would immediately crumble in front of, uh, Key and Peel. Oh, good choice. Yeah. That would be great. Um, I love that. I love how different their work is getting as well. Um, mm. Like they, they've gone in, they, they're still doing funnies, but also um, there was a, they're still doing funnies, but also the serious stuff. And I love that they're able to both those because, partly because I've just put out a book under my writer's name, which is Tom Woodman called Future. And it's a mostly very serious sci-fi uh, time travel story and it's it's doing well which is nice 
And where and can so, you get it? Is it where is where it can you get? Great question. You can get it at all good bookstores. However, they're locked because of the lockdown, so you can't get it from them. Um, you can go to Cast Iron Books and get it. You can go to, uh, I mean, you can go to Amazon, but come on. Um, you can go to any <laughs> online bookstore, basically. You, sh- you will hopefully be able to find it in all of the big ones. Um, the reason I bring it up is because I was told, right, do another like artsy literary second book. I said, yes, got it. Here it comes. Second book is called Dick and Fanny. And and what was the inspiration for Dick and Fanny? Uh, mostly dicks and fannies. Um, no, it, it's actually um, I'm I'm actively trying to do a bit of a clash uh, tonally, which I think all the reviews are going to go. He's really clashed tonally here, um, but uh, it's 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 basically that it, it's an action uh, comic book. And I wanted to kind of, so it's really bright, strong colours, really hopefully sharply choreographed action. Um, and I want to kind of contrast the like, oh, joyful violence, blah, 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 with actually the emotional toll of that. And yeah. Clash those together. Because I think there's, there's all these superhero comics and films, which I love, um, but kind of gloss over the fact that these, these people are, are fighting. Uh, and and the, the stress of that. So I do want to do the action and so forth really well. Um, but clash it against that as well. And, th- and that's why I've gone for that title of sort of, oh, it's this silly, silly, well, very silly uh, title um, put up against what will hopefully be quite grounded um, consequences. Love uh, it. And is that available now? or is, is that... It is not. That's going to be a little while. Um, oh, okay. Well, that, that to look forward to then. That to look forward to. Um, so anyway, so I, I, I love that uh, Key and Peele, again, in their careers, have managed to do, um, managed to do both sides of that. Um, and then also, I always say Neil Gaiman, um, because oh. I think he'd be so weird. <laughs> I, think, I think he would very much come out with that wordy, uh, the wordy kind of improv I was doing at first. And I, think, I feel like by the end of a show, um, everyone would be crying um, and would also be high. Um, they won't have to have ingested anything, but just watching Neil Gaiman do improv, I think that's going to do weird things to your mind. <laughs> so yeah, those are my picks. Uh, two highly qualified improvisers and... A strange man. That's what I've gone for. And also Neil Gaiman. You're my strange man. Ah, thank you. Yeah, I brought, it was a, twi- it was a ah, twist. You misdirected me. I love it. Oh, that's my other bit of advice for new improvisers. If you're ever coming to the end of a long form and you're going, this isn't tying up, just have someone pull their face off, reveal it was a mask and they were another character. I don't think that's ever failed to get a big gasp and round of applause. It doesn't matter how little sense it makes, okay? Every time that a long form is heading towards massive failure because our fundamentals were not there, pull your own face off and go, actually, it was me, Ricardo. Boom. (laughs) Pull a Scooby-Doo, worst case scenario. Scooby-Doo nailed it years ago. I mean, they did it every episode and people came back, you know? Very true. It works. So, Tom, if people want to check out the Shoot from the Hip uh, shows on Zoom, where can they find it? When, when is it on? Yeah, so you can find it on to YouTube. Uh, we're under Shoot from the Hip Comedy. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at uh, 
those things forward slash shoot impro. Um, and we also have a website that we have not updated in so long. I'm going to go check on that right now. Can you hear my keyboard? I can. Oh, nice. Uh, which is shoot from the hip comedy.co.uk. Here we go. Wow, that's dated. Look at that. That's great. I mean, it's all still accurate because nothing has changed in a year. <laughs> Pretty much the same for everybody. Nothing's changed in a year for any of us. But yeah. Oh, gosh. There we are. Lovely. Um, yeah. So please come along. The shows are, as I say, they are free wherever possible. All of our shows, we make them free um, so that you, you can just try it without any worry. And then we have commissions to do games that we hate doing. Um, or possibly forfeit things. Like, I'm going to be eating a series of incredibly spicy chilies. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> which I already regret. I threw it out there as an option. And um, I, I have this weird condition where I don't have a top layer to my tongue. What? And so if I use mouthwash, it burns my tongue. Um, and so what I decided was that chilies would definitely be smart. So okay, I'm definitely tuning to in to see this. <laughs> We're, we're coming up to our 100th live stream, and I think that's where I'm going to have chilies and be hospitalised. Um, <laughs> just, just to mark the occasion. I mean, that means... So we do two a week. So that means 50 weeks of doing these. Is that right? Yeah. Plus, there were a few we didn't do over Christmas. I mean, this is, we've been doing it so long, Sean. <laughs> oh, Sean. <laughs> I need a hug. Can I have a hug? I'll give you a virtual hug. <laughs> That's not the same, Sean. <laughs> Tom. <Need> physicality. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much for coming on today. It was absolutely fascinating chatting with you. And I wish you all the best with all the future shows with Shoot from the Hip. And with your, um, your upcoming uh, not a graphic novel, uh, Dick and Fanny. <laughs> and D- guys, D- definitely check Dick out Future. Dick and Fanny. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoy saying it. I'm really worried that's the whole concept is me enjoying saying that. I'm a child. But anyway, future's going. Future's definitely going well. It's getting nice reviews. Thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure, Tom. This has been quietly chaotic. (laughs) Well, I'm sure I'll see you in the not-too-distant future, but look after yourself, buddy, and talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Ah, I really enjoyed that. Always a good time with Tom. (laughs) I'd recommend checking out Shoot from the Hips live shows and also check out uh, Tom's graphic novel, Future. Uh, as you heard of this podcast is available everywhere now well everybody next week's episode is with the legendary Dave Pasquese he's one half of TJ and Dave and he's easily one of the best improvisers in the world it was a complete honour to have him on the show and it was incredible he talked about the formation of the Harold talked about the early days of the improv scene in Chicago his time at Second City his career at improv over the last 30 years and it was absolutely incredible i had so much fun talking with him he's a hilarious guy so definitely check that out everybody big shout out of course to adam deveni sound engineer extraordinaire and to crowander for our theme music space fun well that's it for today everybody thanks so much for listening and i'll see you next week have a good one bye